Tired. Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. I am your co-host, Mike One. Co-host also, Mike, is here as well. Uh, behind the curtain talking now, giving you a peek at Oz. This is going to be a double recording day for us. We're going to record two episodes on this one day because this, what will be this one episode, turned into its own episode because I went overboard, Michael. Well, I think this is par for the course, but it's for good reason. <laughs> it's for good reason, this time anyway, where mm-hmm. you're actually analyzing this WGA AMPTP deal. I mean, this yeah. historic new contract where the gains are real and it is a victory for the working man. And uh, viva la revolution, as you text That's me right. every hour on the hour. <laughs> That's and right. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled for you. I mean, you worked your ass off trying to get this thing understood so i'm just gonna hope that you are boston legal legalese levels can i tell you i watched the first episode of that and Uh i was not impressed all right so what practice season seven legalese levels of expertise rather than boston (laughs) legal thank you don't insult me like that ever again no uh (laughs) yeah so I want to give some shout-outs. I am going to try to go through what the WGA uh, ended up winning and what the new terms are of this deal, and that's going to be the this episode for you and what this episode will entail. Um, shout-out to Hassan Piker and Adam Conover. Adam Conover's been everywhere. Mike, mm-hmm. I know you listened to him on, a call, on The Town, I think it was, yep. as well. Yep. Uh, he's been putting out TikToks, keeping people up to date. He's been putting out uh, great Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it, feeds. Uh, keeping people up to date. He's been literally everywhere throughout the strike, on the uh, beginning of the strike, before the strike, and now in the post-strike era here, uh, updating everyone and telling everyone what's been going on. He was in the negotiating rooms on some aspects of this WGA deal. Him and Hassan Piker uh, on YouTube have like an hour and 15-minute uh, conversation breaking down step-by-step what the WGA did and did not gain in terms of what they asked for originally with their deal. Mm-hmm. It is a fantastic conversation. It is highly in-depth. Uh, it's where I get. I'm going to end up parroting a lot, parroting a lot of that conversation here in this episode. Uh, you you could get more of the stuff that I probably miss or misspeak or mischaracterize from there. It's on YouTube. Uh, go search it out. I also wanted to shout out Rick Porter of the Hollywood Reporter. Uh, as well as Alex Weprin of uh, the Hollywood Reporter, uh, Rick Porter did a great job breaking down what the uh, the residual deal is. The yep. new basis and residuals is going to be. We're going to have a side quest within this rant that I'm about to give for the WGA deal. Uh, a lot of that's going to come from Rick Porter's article. I'll get to that when I talk about it. Alex Weprin also has a, brings up a couple important questions that I'll get to at the end. But those were uh, the big names of where I'm getting most of this information from. All right. So over under first prop bet of the episode. Okay. Over under forty five <laughs> minutes. How does your rant last longer than forty five minutes or under? Uh, I will be. I if this doesn't go an hour plus, I'll be surprised, and that's why I say so, I'm tired because the idea of having to record a second episode immediately after this, yeah, I'm just going to be drooling on myself. You're going to be drooling, but I, I'll, I'll kind of take the wheel for a lot of that because that's I watched like seventeen movies in the last 
week and a half good so that that'll come for for folks but no i'm excited to to get this broken down i've, I've tried to do some work but i still don't understand it well enough i guess to well, lead that into makes it, two of us so yeah good. but but to, to lead into it though i'm curious like are you bullish on this deal bearish like you're gonna mention that you know right here they they got 54 percent of what they were asking in terms yeah. of the sheer dollar amount projections the yeah. wga was that over your expectations about what you were expecting or did or, or under well there's two ways to look at that number and, and the original ask the wga when they originally put out their demands uh before they went on strike on the first of may they they calculated it all and they said it would cost studios about 429 million dollars a year right the studios counter offers accounted to about 86 million dollars a year and so they meet somewhat in the middle and the studios are going to end up costing 233 million dollars a year to fulfill this wga contract this new uh, collective fleet bargaining agreement what's called the mba um if you look at it as okay the writers lost about 50 percent of what they're asking for or lost about 46 percent of what they're asking for that's still probably a win for the writers but it's triple what the studios originally offered yeah so that's a big deal i mean i the studio i, I think the wga kind of killed it now there's some numbers Good. here and Conover makes this point again and again in a couple of his conversations. There's some numbers here that he's not thrilled with, and I don't think the WGA at large is thrilled with, but they're a starting point for stuff that wasn't in the MBA, the original deal, at all. So they had to start somewhere, and the, the hope is that, you know, in another three or two and a half years when this it's time to renegotiate, they'll be able to work on those numbers and make them better off anyway. But I think overall, the, the writers have to be very, very happy with what they... I think they crushed it. And because these negotiations happen once every three years uh there is precedent for a lot of these i would say you know preemptive deals where the writers guild gets a small amount in terms of a residual or whatever uh, and a certain new piece of the business and then years later or once every three years they add to it and add to it right. and, and make further and further gains so they talked about uh, Conover certainly talked about a couple areas of the business. I don't know if it was reality TV or what. I, I my mind doesn't go beyond the movies that much, so you're going to be talking a lot of <laughs> a lot of stuff here today that um, I'm just uh, I'm not privy to. So I'm I'm going to be learning as well, but I'm I'm excited to hear hear more of it. And 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 like I said, I, I'm I'm glad that uh, they feel as optimistic as they do. And it's not just conover it's like the whole guild is is seems to be i mean this is like a good vibes deal if there ever was one right i think so and i think they should be very very happy with where they landed i'm surprised that some areas in terms of like how efficient i'm when it comes to ai which is at the very end i am surprised at how much the, the writers got good and how much the studios gave in so and but it's like we said all along i mean if the studios agreed to everything that the writers were demanding for the balance of power would still remain with the studios. Right. They'd, they'd still have all the money in the world. Yes. So that's where it is still. So this is, if nothing else, it shows you the strength of unions. It shows you the strength of, you know, solidarity and coming together and good for the WGA and good for SAG-AFTRA and good for IATSE for not crossing those picket lines. And we're going to cover all that as we get rolling here. So you're saying we can leave the guillotines in the shed still uh, well we'll see okay sure <laughs> <laughs> all right let's get into it let's talk about uh step by step here i'm, I'm gonna try to go the outline for my 
take on this was the same outline that uh, Adam and Hassan did. It's it's going to be the the PDF of the tentative agreement that the WGA sent out to their members, which has been the outline for the WGA has been using all along. And we talked about it back in May when the WGA rolled out this PDF where they it was like a twenty seven point demand list that they had uh, with the the studios originally rejecting or not even countering a lot of those demands. And might I say, this is such a writer's document. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Like, you gotta be a writer to understand this thing. There's three columns. There's seven pages. There's probably actually like 21 pages of prose text here. Like, Jesus Christ. It's a lot. So, uh, here's the hope and I don't get most of it wrong. All right, (laughs) Let's talk about... uh, the minimums, uh, the, the residual minimums is where this is starting, and it's a basic meet in the middle. It's not really, I'm going to try not to bog you down too much with like math and numbers here. There will be math at one point that I can't avoid, and I apologize for that, dear listener. But for in terms of minimums is where this document starts. It's just a meet in the middle. This deal is three years long. There's a 5%, 4%, and 3.5% uh, stepping stone of upgrades or bonuses and residuals uh, for payments there, for, min- for minimum payments there. Mm-hmm. Okay easy enough let's start in the uh the hairy carry of it all talking about features and having to do with streaming features what the wga originally wanted was the same terms for movies on streamers as they have for movies in film the wga originally asked for movies with a 12 million dollar or more budget to be applied to here and having this deal cover those movies Mm -hmm. uh they kind of met in the middle again they split the difference so it's going to be movies on streamers with a budget of 30 million dollars or more writers will get a 20 percent bump to initial compensation with a 26 percent increase to the writer's residual base so again if a move if a movie is on a streamer on a big budget streamer netflix disney plus etc if it has a budget of over 30 million dollars that's good news for the writers they get paid more and I get that because the Gothams and the Indie Spirits, I mean, they have those $30 million thresholds. It's hard to find a lot of studio movies nowadays that cost less than that. That being right. said, like a Blumhouse model, you got $5 million budgets, an 824 model, $5 million budgets, a Hallmark movie is a three, $3 million budget. But there are, you know, for those theatrical niche industries, you can, you can make, you know, you could share on the back end. The reason why this is so important for 30 plus million dollar uh you know f- what used to be just purely fixed residuals or purely fixed yeah. fees mm-hmm. is that now they can get bonuses and 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 the minimums are bumped up so that i mean th- these are hugely important yeah things. and i think i mean hopefully as we go through this that's going to be something that's recognized is just how how much the studios were screwing the writers and how much how desperately the writers needed this to, to kind of have a stake in the game. And you had to get stuff down on paper so the studios have to pay now right. because what the studios were doing was kind of absurd. And here's one of the first examples of it. And one of the next things that the WGA demanded or asked for was a guaranteed second step. And what does that mean? Well, yeah. what happened here and what was collectively bargained is there now a guaranteed second step with regards to movie screenplays if the writer is hired for 200% or less of the minimum uh, guild pay. And what so what's this guaranteed second step? As Adam explains historically, screenwriters were always getting two-step deals. It means there were two drafts and they were paid for both of those drafts from the studios. The studios, though, started eroding the two-step deal they would ask for one draft and then they would tinker around and kind of bs their way to avoid having to pay the writer for the second draft because it wasn't in stone it wasn't collectively bargained for they didn't have to pay for a second draft they were able to kind of jinky around the rules there yeah 
But of course, there's no such thing as a one-draft film in Hollywood. I mean, that's just obvious, right? So now there is a guaranteed second step. There's a guaranteed second draft, and the writer has to be paid for that second draft, which was a big deal and a big get for the WGA. Every single person that I've read or heard talk about this deal, overall deal, is mentioned the guaranteed second step as being huge because so much free labor was was happening in the business. And, it, I mean, it, the IndieWire piece just called it a scourge on writers uh, for all mm-hmm. these years that they were they were being you know they'd finish a script and, and it would take a lot that, to finish that of script course. and they'd probably put a couple drafts into it just to finish the script and make it presentable right so I mean the quote unquote first draft it really wasn't a vomit draft it was mm-hmm. a you know a well thought out you know many drafts worth of work there and then to get that second step is, is actually going to take months more of work and they were just making them do that for free and they're worth withholding the payments till you were done the studio a lot of this reminds me of how i mean going way back in our series talking about our cars 2 episode when we did our pixar rewatch series and we yeah. talked about the the tension between steve jobs and uh and the former disney ceo there Lasseter? now disney or, no uh, i'm sorry that's a, no, eisner i think it was. eisner yeah yeah uh and how basically disney kind of because it wasn't in writing they were able to get toy story 2 as a quote-unquote free movie from pixar yeah you know, and how, the, how Pixar ended up kind of doing that work for free, essentially. And if you want to go in our Wayback Machine, go check out our vault. Uh, that was another episode where I went way too deep into the legal aspects of what happened. But the the people with the power, the capitalists, are always going to try and screw over the little guy. And I'm sorry, that's the nature of the business. And that's just, you know, because money rules the world. The bottom line rules the world. So having this down in stone and having a second step like that where they has to be paid now is a big deal. So they can't exploit the little guy in the in the entry level as as well as the you know the seasoned veteran like like the the minimums before raising those minimums yeah it does right. it it'd be nicer if it was like five million and every hallmark screenwriter was was getting the same but right. at the very least you're breaking into the industry you're paying your dues you're working at a higher clip and uh, it's still not good but it's it's getting better but yes please keep going. Having to do with features, the last ask for the WGA, they wanted weekly pay for movie screenwriters akin to what television screenwriters get. The WGA asked for weekly pay. Uh, TV writers are paid weekly, but historically movie screenwriters are only paid a lump sum at the beginning and at the end. So if the studio wants drafts upon drafts and the project is never actually finished, the studio would hold that second lump sum payment over the writer's head. That's not going to be the case any longer. There is now a 50% uh payment on commencement to the writers of a feature 25% will be paid nine weeks later and the final 25% will be due on delivery so yeah Conover came on the town and he talked about the fears going into this strike that the industry is becoming a gig economy and we and we mentioned this at the outset when we start first started covering it and I would tell you like this first set of gains to me you're going to mention a bunch of others that will kind of eat into this gig economy factor here but i think these gains are eating into that term just as much because i mean look hollywood's still kind of a gig economy it's not like these screenwriters are just employed by the studios for you know like mank was employed by right you know what, what was that rko for all that time mm-hmm. what, whatever i mean that that's not the way it works you know for most writers now it does for some but it's it is a gig economy, but at least now you get some stability. Like we're they're paying multiple times for multiple drafts. Yay! They're paying well, this, you for, by like, week. And you make a good point there. Like this is dealing for the writers who aren't Mank. 
You know, like this yeah. is for Eric Roth or the big like, like there's a ton of writers out there in Hollywood that aren't named in household names that it's an upper middle class job or it's a strictly middle class job. They're just literally trying to live. And they were getting and they exploited. were getting screwed around by the studios. Yes, they were getting exploited. Yeah. Good. So those are the gains uh, gotten by the WGA for feature writers and feature screenplays. We'll talk about Appendix A writers now. Uh, what are Appendix A? Appendix A covers everything that isn't a narrative TV show or movie. So we have like late night comedies, documentary comedies here, etc. Those types of films. Porn? Here. Porn? Yes. Uh, that's a great question. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but that's a great question. <laughs> Do they have writers? Oh, anyway, just keep going. I don't... I'm... Steering us off the tracks. <laughs> That's going to be another 12-hour research dive for me. Uh, in streaming, the, those shows had no terms whatsoever for streaming, and that was one of the problems here. Traditional TV guaranteed minimum pay. Uh, there was a 14-week guarantee and a healthy residual. These were the terms that WJ wanted for Appendix A shows on streaming. Uh this was a near-complete get by the WGA, as save for some exceptions. Initial compensation terms will mirror narrative TV payouts for comedy variety shows, quiz and audience shows, and other non-dramatic shows made for streaming, contingent on said shows adhering to the listed budgetary constraints on those shows. And this is one of the examples that Adam said in this conversation. He's not thrilled with the budgetary constraints. It's like a 600000 uh, You have to be $600,000 or more mm-hmm. in terms of a budget for a half-hour show. Or one, it's all in the, uh, the document, or one point one five million dollar budget for an hour-long show for these rules to apply for these payments to apply he's not thrilled with that but the point is it's in stone now it's in writing they can work on those budgetary numbers the next time this needs to be collectively bargained what matters is that now appendix a shows are being paid appendix a shows on streaming now have terms in which the writers have to be paid by because before it was the wild wild west right now that's that's the point here that's the point for all i mean that's what you just said is the summary for all of this like there were no rules and so of course the capitalists or the people with the money the studios the amptp was going to nickel and dime everywhere they could because they wanted the most profits possible which isn't necessarily a bad thing that's the that's the economy we live in but it was done so at the expense of the writers making a living wage right and look i just picture robert de niro in the killers of the flower moon trailer as the AMPTP, right, and, right. and for which folks, is fair, I'd say. I would say, I would say, and now we're, yeah, we're bringing some, we're bringing some order. Mm-hmm. Somebody's got to fight back. Somebody's <laughs> like Jesse Plemons has got a question. He's got to question the witnesses. Figure okay. out who's doing them, <laughs> and then he shoots Leonardo DiCaprio right between, and then the movie's over. Yeah, um, talk about a non sequitur. We haven't seen it yet, people. <laughs> no, if that, imagine if I that's feel the pretty ending. confident in saying that's how that movie ends. Oh. <laughs> <sighs> We're gonna laugh now. We're gonna be arm in arm in the theater on a Wednesday night. That's gonna happen. Uh, there will be laughing. Those are gains. We covered gains for feature writers. We covered gains for appendix A writers. Let's talk about gains the WGA made for episodic TV writers. We'll start with uh, TV weekly compensation. Uh, the big takeaway, according to Khan over here, was that there's just basically a new rank with a new minimum payment via writer-producer tier. There's now a writer-producer tier with required minimum payments 9.5% higher than the previous rank. So, Good. again, it's a, it's a built-in. It's a necessity. You have to pay them this amount more than you were paying them if they're in this new rank, which wasn't there in the previous collectively bargained contract. Amen. 
One of the big gets was development room compensation. Uh, mini rooms. We talk about mini rooms a lot. We talk about the writers' rooms a lot. These are kind of some of the big takeaways that uh, the WGA got here. Uh, prior to a show being greenlit, the show was mostly or totally written anyway. Studios were paying only the minimums uh, for outlining the season and writing the first few scripts in full. That's how it was happening, and now mm-hmm. that can no longer be the case. These actions, Those actions will be paid as a premium, and also, when a show is greenlit, there is required regular writer's rooms minimums with staff minimums that have to be in place that were not in place prior. So, in other words, now, once a show is officially greenlit, uh, first of all, prior to greenlighting, uh, there are premiums that must be paid to the writing and the outlining of the scripts that are being done for that show. If the studio then wants to green light that show they have to pay for a certain number of minimum writers to be in the writer's room now Mm. and this is like stuff that used to be a norm these writer's rooms used to be you know the common business practices and hassan made a great point about that very thing and i think it's i mean it's something i had never thought of i'm sure a lot of people in hollywood have and it blows me away why is it that all these ceos seem to be okay with like throwing the writers under the bus and if you look back historically, like the Warner actual brothers, the actual Warner brothers, the people who founded Universal, like these were people in the business. Right. Like the Warner brothers, like, uh, either they operated a movie theater or they were all worked at one. The people that founded Universal, uh, you know, sold goods and sold their food to like get their first Nickelodeon uh, uh, device. Mm-hmm. Like these were people who were part of the business and as the business of Hollywood has evolved the CEOs have been replaced from people who are in the business to just strictly businessmen yeah and they don't understand the writing practice and they don't especially when they see inefficiencies that are built in again to the writing process this was my whole point I think when the writers uh, strike started the fact that they wanted to outsource to all of these big you know Tyler Perry Steven Spielberg you know, Greta Gerwig operations, mm-hmm. Ava DuVernay-sized operations that are becoming, you know, these, these you know, industries in their own right. They wanted to outsource all of the trial and error of the writing process to, the, to those companies instead of funding it themselves. When the, the fact of the matter is, if you're going to be in this business, you got to deal with some trial and error. You got to deal with some inefficiencies. But at least here, they're getting back to these norms and they're paying people to work on all the TV shows, at least in a minimum sense. <laughs> Thank God. Yeah. And you, I mean, where it gets offensive is that yes, you do need trial and error with these studios and that's a, a part of the business of Hollywood, but it's not like you're hanging on by a thread, Netflix, Disney, right. And TV, TV is more efficient than the movies. Like, I mean, either, but my, the point remains but don't screw the little guy to cover your mistakes. Like Mank could, yeah, but Mank could be in a office and he could be drunk and he could just be plagiarizing <laughs> Frankenstein, and that's his day's work. But that was if you're also, at least he's on how, salary. That's how most MMO scripts get done, to be honest. <laughs> uh, <laughs> another big get, actually, interestingly enough, one of the first big gets and one of the first big gives that the studios were willing to give prior to the strike were script fees for staff writers, which was something that never happened before. Staff writers now will receive script fees Good. on top of their weekly premiums. Um, Adam explained, again, in that conversation with Hassan, that the studios were quick to offer this to the WGA prior to the WGA going on strike. With the WGA's thought being that uh, 
This was never in paper before, so staff writers, who are the lowest of the low on mm-hmm. the on terms of the, the rungs of the ladder here in Hollywood, never got script fees for their work in, in the writers' rooms and just being on staff for a show. They got donuts. The, donuts this, and exactly, coffee. Yeah, yeah. If the studios offered them script fees, the WGA was thinking they're going to offer the staff writers script fees in hopes that the, the young staff writers aren't going to want to strike. Or they're going to repel against the strike thinking that it's a bad idea because look how nice the studios are being. We're going to get more money and God knows we need it because we get paid in donuts as it is. Right. Oh, my God. So it, it was an ins- at least the way Adam puts it, he thought the WGA's thing was this was probably an insidious offer, an insidious give by the studios to try and uh, splinter the WGA in their efforts here. Interesting. So yeah. you got to uh, – no, I'm glad for that one. I didn't that's, – that's something I didn't get. And it's also colors. hysterical because – Okay, the studios were going to offer script fees for the staff writers, except mm-hmm. they weren't going to guarantee a writer's room. And they told the WGA a writer's room is basically a non-starter. They're not going to consider it. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be no writer's room that has to be contractually made, which means the script fees are nonsense. Because <laughs> you don't have to have staff writers on right. if the studios were allowed to keep doing what they were doing. Man. And they negotiate these things every three years. Unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, and so that is the next step here. So we have script fees. We have the development room. Let's talk about the writer's room. There has to be a writer's room now. Uh, for for high-budget uh, streaming video-on-demand services, a development room must have a minimum of three writer-producers present, and then we get into minimums for the writer's room and the post-greenlight rooms. Previously, in previous NBA and previous agreements between the AMPTP and the WGA, how are these letters doing? You keeping up? Good. <laughs> in previous agreements, there was no contractual requirement for any writer's room to exist and now there are not only writers' room that must exist, but minimum staff requirements for those post-Greenlight writers' room. Uh, this proposal originally was completely rejected by the AMPTP. They said that, uh, as the way Conover explains it, had the WGA not gone on strike for as long as they have, this is something they would not have gotten, which is one of the biggest gets and one of the biggest asks the WGAs wanted. They wanted to preserve the writers' room, and now it is in stone, and now it is not only in stone and preserved as a writers' room, but it's in stone and preserved as a minimum staffing. For every six-episode order for a big streaming network, you there is a requirement of now three writers being on staff, three of them being writer-producers. For every seven- to 12-episode order, there is a minimum of five writers that must be required on staff, with a minimum of three writer-producers. For every 13-plus episode, episode order for a series for a high budget uh streaming high budget streamer netflix disney plus etc uh there is a requirement of six writers with minimum of three writer producers amen like this is this is the biggest thing and again you're giving sustained work in long-term positions longer term uh to avoid the quote-unquote gig economy crunch on all of these writers i mean this is this is huge Writers also have to be kept on through production now, which is another big deal we talked about. Writers can go to set and they can be part of that. Uh, However, in terms of minimums in post-production for writers, uh, Conover is very explicit in saying this is one we didn't win. Uh, This is a quote, actually. This is one we didn't win. Uh, Writers need to be in the room in post and they would never pay us our writing wages. Sometimes we'd get a small production fee. It wouldn't contribute to our pension and health. We demanded that they pay us as writers during post. We did not win that one. No, that sucks. Well, again, I mean, Four steps forward, one step back. I think on balance, you take it if you're the WGA. I mean, it's a negotiation. Right. You're going to lose, and yeah. like you said, fifty-four. Well, I'm not going to lose. I don't lose negotiations, but other people, we're more. Other people I'm will kidding. lose. Yeah, the Boston <laughs> Celtics. All right, okay, just go, just go, just move on. Anybody know how Drew Holiday's doing? Uh, let's talk about streaming gains that the WGA made. This is another big piece of this. Huge. Okay. 
there's a big block here for foreign streaming residuals. Um, this is one of those things that looks much more intimidating than it actually is in, po- in terms of importance, at least, again, if you listen to the sources and read the sources that I read and listened to. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, as Adam says, another quote here, quote, we wanted them to improve the residuals they pay based on the number of foreign subscribers they have. They did that. Yay, WGA. WGA wins. The mm-hmm. big takeaway from the streaming portion of the, these negotiations was the viewership-based streaming residuals. Yeah. Uh, and this is one of the huge issues we talked about previously, Mike. Like, again, talking about how this was the Wild West. There were no rules for the streamers here. This is the biggest takeaway in where these streamers were, like, getting away with murder in terms of exploiting their writers, right? Yeah, I mean, every every decade of Hollywood, essentially, especially the the golden age of TV that we just got out of, they paid residuals. That's why Jerry Seinfeld doesn't have to make another Seinfeld. That's why Larry David can just <laughs> do whatever the hell he wants. He's right. got residuals. And that's on cable versus what we saw during the strike when writers would put their residual checks from streaming onto it's a joke. social media. I mean, you know, Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld get paid thousands upon thousands of dollars per episode, or for, for a couple episodes probably, that, that are still in syndication, whereas if you did something for streaming, you're getting paid literally pennies on the dollar. Mm-hmm. Nonsense. Anyway, okay. In layman's terms, what the writers got, the percentage being discussed here is a fixed residual. In other words, just for having a type of show available on a streamer now, because of this negotiation with the AMPTP, the WGA now has a corresponding residual for that. Writers never had that previously, and there was also never previously, because there was never a fixed residual, there was no step-ups or an increase in residuals based on viewership. In other words, what writers never had was a fixed residual for streaming. A, that's why the studios were able to pay them pennies on the dollar. That's why the strike needed to happen. But also, if you had a hit on a streamer, you didn't get paid more no matter how many people watched this. And now upon this Oregon Trail, that is me trying to make sense of the WGA AMPTP deal. We're about to cross our, ford our first river and have our first side quest as it has to do with this part. <laughs> so now... If 20% or more of a streaming service's subscribers watch a show in the first 90 days or in the first 90 days of the following year, they have to pay a bonus equal to 50% of the fixed domestic and foreign residual, which, depending on what type of show or film it is, assuming the show or film fits the, fee, fits the previously established criteria of a film or, or show within the budgetary constraints, means writers will get bonuses of $9,000 for a 30-minute show that hit these benchmarks, $16,000 plus for a one-hour show that hit those benchmarks, or $40,500 for films that hit those benchmarks. That, that's real money. Now we're that talking. certainly is. It helps you get through the year, if you're, especially if you're a mid-level writer, no doubt. Uh, that's one of the big asks that the WGA got as Conover explains and SAG is obviously asking for the same that's why SAG after remains on strike that is one of the biggest asks they have so now we have in place here mm-hmm. actual contractually necessary payments for not only a show existing on a high budget streamer but also if it's a popular show more money being paid to the writers that give it on the streamer and this is just common sense the writers output is the reason that the show is so good right so they deserve to have a bigger piece of the pie or some piece of the pie yes some piece of the well any piece of the pie (laughs) any piece of the pie would be good i mean it's not jerry seinfeld money but it's it's money (laughs) right all right now Here's the side quest. Mike, you and I talk all the time about the need for transparency with these streamers and how there is, you know, none. And even more, I guess, pointed is what the hell is a view? 
right? Mm-hmm. What's a view according to Netflix? We see we talk all the time how Netflix puts out these insane stats about how many views their program got and blah blah blah. Well, thanks to Rick Porter and thanks to this WGA negotiation, we have now a definition of a view according to a, a, on a streamer. Mm-hmm. What a view is on any kind of high budget streaming uh, network. Yeah, here's here's the equation. Total viewing time of a movie or season of a show divided by its running time. So, if you watch half the episodes of a season of TV, it's going to count as half of a view, essentially, of that season. If you watch the entire season, it'll count as an entire view. And if you watch half the season, Michael, and I watch the other half of the season, or if I watch half a season, that together will count as one view, I think. Essentially. This is good now. However, it's good for us in terms of trying to make sense of it. It's not gr- it's not as good for the writers because it's almost like, I mean, for lack of a better term, the greed of the AMPTP here, the studios, is forcing them to honestly report their views. They're not going to report billions of minutes. Or, I mean, they can, but at least they can't in terms of uh, the WGA you know, numbers. We now know that the views are going to equal the actual uh, the actual length of the of the show so we're, we're not getting bogus numbers when we eventually get these for ourselves now you're going to later discuss how all of this data is going to be kept confidential uh, mm-hmm. within the guilds and there's going to be confidentiality agreements involved but I would suspect in the years to come these quote-unquote views are going to be made somewhat public but that's just my hope. Oh, I disagree. Yeah. Nah, that's it's going to happen. It's going to happen. The box office was never made public, and then it was. And then it did this this will happen, I think. And I can say that in such a smug tone of voice here. But at the very least, a view is a view, which is good. No? Or Hopefully. I mean, we're going we're gonna to find out. But a view now, like you said, total viewing time of a movie or season of a show divided by its runtime. Obviously... Neither the WGA nor Netflix themselves are concerned with necessarily one view, but they want to know how many views a program or a show or series, etc. has. It's going to be a large number if you go by that metric, by that uh, equation there. The number of those views which occur within the first 90 days of a content's premiere on a streamer is then divided by the number of domestic subscribers said streamer has. If that number, views divided by domestic subscribers, which is now going to be referred to as a performance metric, if the performance mm-hmm. metric surpasses this magical 20% quotient or is over 0.2, within this new WGA deal, then those proper bonuses, the 9000 for a half-hour sh- show, 16000 for a one-hour program, 40500 for a movie, though, that's when the writers of those con- those. Yeah, contents would get those bonuses. And this is a formula which will apply to any... Uh, high-budget streamer show or feature debuting after January 1st of 2024, regardless of when the show was ordered or produced. So, All right, in an awkward edit here, I tried reading this paragraph 14 times, and it is perhaps one of the most masturbatory math nonsense paragraphs that I've ever read in my life from Porter and yourself. I, I refuse to allow you to read this on air. Uh, no, I mean, you, but I, but essentially what it comes down to, I think is getting the quotient that becomes yes. 0.241 or otherwise 24.1%. Yes. So 
this Rick Porter of the Hollywood Reporter, that's a hilarious name, coincidence, <laughs> he has figured out a math quote quotient that will essentially be the guiding you know, force for this bonus residual, correct? And it's 24.1? For this hypothetical show, he was just giving an example. But what's important is that it's over 20%. So essentially, the equation is what matters here. If the writers are going to get those bonuses that I previously mentioned, the way they ha- the way they're going to be re- rewarded is the WGA is going to be given the statistics from the streamer network. They're going to be signed to confidentiality agreements and non-disclosure agreements, and it's going to, going to be very private. But the WGA is going to figure out, okay, we have an epi- a series that runs for this long. So many millions of people watched it uh, in the first 90 days. Mm-hmm. The total viewing time will be divided by the runtime of the series in the first 90 days, and then that number will be divided by the number of subscribers a streaming network has. If that equation equals above 0.2, and -hmm. in this case, in the examples case, it was 0.241, if it's above a 0.2, the bonuses are given out. You get the bonus. Yes. So I... I think our audience should be grateful to me because I was about to read the equivalent of an SAT question Uh on the air, a very detailed one, Uh and you were going to force me to show my work in in the answer. Sure. (laughs) Not really. Well, Rick Porter's work. Right. Yeah, exactly. The so we, we didn't do that as, as relayed by, but Rick no, Porter. you explained it. Well, I appreciate it. I, I, I tried. I I'm, I'm going cross-eyed now. We're, we're way too in far the week into the weeds way too far at this point. <laughs> um, and as I said, the WGA will not have access to the streamers numbers. And this is kind of a big deal too. The streamers are going to give their statistics to the WGA, but it's only going to be up to six people who are going to be sworn to confidentiality agreements. who are going to be sworn to non-disclosure agreements uh, who are not going to be able to tell even the WGA members, what these numbers are. They're going to be able to aggregate them for the WGA members and let them know whether or not the bonuses were hit, but mm-hmm. they're not going to be able to say, okay, look, I got the numbers from Netflix for you know how many people watched Beef in the first 90 days, and here is exactly how many people did. If those numbers get released, there's going to be uh, judicial and legal consequences. Wow. Well, that, that, that clarifies some things, too, because I was wondering how they would they were going to you know, dance around the fact that people know, and then, then everybody will learn what worked and what didn't or what hit the bonuses so people know that and where the leaks going to come the leaks are going to come right but no i mean now they're they have consequences if the leaks come so yeah and they're gonna i mean the studios are going to know and this is something obviously i mean you would think netflix was very against giving any numbers period because Mm -hmm. they run on hiding their numbers but they're gonna know they have literally the people in which will have access to these numbers are going to have signed documents to the streamers every time they get the numbers, it sounds like. So these dorky writers are going to name themselves, right? The septuplet, the sextuplet, the, the, the round table. Not, I don't think it's going to be the same six people. And that's the other way they can obfuscate the numbers the studios can, is just have different members of the WGA, of the accounting crew, uh, the accounting department of the WGA come in and get the numbers and, you know, keep them have it never be the same people the holy six right yeah the septuplet the holy septuplet on top of that there is one final legal protection that that is afforded to writers here in the wga and that is if so because the wga is only going to have that holy septuplet have access to the numbers (laughs) if there is a thinking that the studios are screwing with the numbers or the streamers aren't being honest with those numbers the wga can request an audit of the numbers which to me, only further in incentivizes the streamers to be honest with the numbers anyway, because it's clear to me the streamers are going out of their way to make sure their viewing numbers don't reach the public. 
So right. the less people that have access to their viewership numbers, the better for the streamers. So I don't think there's going to be any kind of obfuscating, to use that word for a second time in a five-minute stretch here, of the numbers by the studios. I think they're going to play this very honest because they don't want government intervention. They don't want anyone knowing. They don't want to open their books, essentially. But this is important that the WGA can audit them for yes. for arbitration cases going forward and certainly for for negotiations on this deal going forward. So every three years there. So that's that's huge. So that's a breakdown of the performance metric as to how the WGA gets paid on these new viewership-based streaming residuals. And we're done with that side quest, except, of course, we're not done with that side quest because we're never done with anything. <laughs> Because there is a question that Alex Weprin brings up from The Hollywood Reporter, and it's one I hadn't thought of, and it's like, oh, yeah, this is going to be horrible. <laughs> so the performance metric is do is based essentially on how many domestic subscribers a, a streaming network has, right? We just went over that gobbledygook. Yes. If somebody only has Amazon Prime for the shipping, are they considered an Amazon Prime uh, stream a subscriber, Mike? Are they a, a watcher of Amazon Amazon Prime? I'm looking at the legally, you know, the legal definition now, and yeah, they are. You think so? Okay, that's what my about, get, yeah. What, what if somebody has is bundled into uh, these streaming networks? But subscriber, they they're subscriber. That you think so? so you just you have no. There's no gray area in this for you. No, I mean, look at what's my opinion in terms of you know if I'm a WGA member, hoping that. All these quote unquote passive subscribers can be filtered out and they can see what their active viewership is, and then you can get a percentage of that. But I mean, look at these are early days. They're just cutting the deal for the first time. It's no longer the Wild West. At least they're not, you know, at least they're not. Uh, you know, doing what they used to be doing, and we have some framework here, but this is something they're going to have to fight for in the future, whether uh, it's a, a paid sub or a grandfathered-in sub as part of a deal, or like you're saying, just a totally passive subscriber that clearly never watches Amazon Prime, for instance, or right. whatnot. So there is that pull, and obviously you hit the nail on the head. The WGA is going to want a lower number for the subscriber base or domestic subscribers for any streaming network. And obviously the, the streamers are going to want a higher number. And there is no settled on definition as to what necessarily a subscriber is. It is, however, within the uh, the, the new agreement, the working agreement between the AMPTP and the WGA. And the agreement they came to with how to settle that those matters are that they will be held to further discussions. By both yeah. sides. I'm sure and one side is saying if you pay the subscription fee, you're a subscriber. And, or yeah, if that's the studio without, yeah. question, without question, I would say. Yeah. But uh, And failing, if those talks can't resolve itself, uh, there will be binding arbitration entered into. Okay, so there's everything you need to know for what was bargained for and gained by the WGA with regards to streaming residuals, which was one of the biggest cogs of this negotiation alongside AI protections, which were is coming up very, very shortly. Mm -hmm. And remember, again, I, I, lest you think about siding with the studios here, and this is me editorializing, the WGA came to the AMPTP prior to the May strike and just wanted to work something out with regards to a residual and bonus standard for streaming, which is yeah. the medium, the biggest Hollywood studios have spent the better part of the last decade pouring literally billions of dollars into, and the AMPTP refused to bargain that aspect of a deal with them. Yeah, they were the Writers Guild was not posturing in a huge way in this issue. They just wanted something, and and they got more than that. So good. And again, this is why I say I think it's a big win for the writers. Again, you made the point. They got it down on paper. That's what matters. Adam Conover says the same thing. 
these terms can be negotiated in further collective bargaining agreements in two and a half years, which is, I mean, mind-blowing to me that these are three-year contracts and the studios wasted the first six months of what this contract, this new collectively bargained contract covers anyway. Yeah. So now instead of negotiating in three years, they only have to wait two and a half. Right. Crazy. Anyway, all right. What else did the WGA get here? Uh, Ad-supported free streaming services. Basically, they just got terms for when the Tubies and Pluto TVs, the free streamers that are supported by ads of the world, start producing their own content. Uh, Adam makes the point in the conversation saying, quote, people want to pay money less than they want to watch ads. That doesn't apply to my co-host here, who I know is the opposite, but apparently that is the, the nation at large would rather have ads than they would go further into their pockets for streaming networks so they think it is inevitable that the Tubies and the Pluto TVs of the world will eventually make their own content. Right. And I think they are, to a degree, some of them. I think so, too, but I, don't, I, I could not think of a single one. So... I, don't I mean, Freebie's making its own stuff. I know, but that. Freebie doesn't. This doesn't apply to Freebie because that's an Amazon thing. Is a oh. whole, you know, yada. Eh, same thing. As far as the gains in pension and health, the WGA got pretty much everything they asked for there Good. without any kind of pushback. Uh, the one big gain that, like, what, what are we talking about here? And when it comes to writing teams. Mm-hmm. Writing teams used to only get a half a pension and health contribution per member or one contribution per team, which is mm-hmm. insane. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> like, what? So Lord and Miller would only get a half each contribution to their, their pension and their health? What? what? Terrible. Uh, so now that's done away with. If you're a human being, you get one full contribution from the studio to your pension and health. Uh, bully for you. Amazing that had to be negotiated. But anyway, okay. It is amazing. Uh, we're towards the end here, mercifully. Let's talk about the protections <laughs> against AI that the WGA did gain. Mm-hmm. Uh, the WGA, I think, killed it when it comes to AI protections. And I was expecting this to be the big, long, drawn-out section, and it is not. It's like a paragraph worth of information at most. Essentially, the writer won and now has dominion over the use of AI in the writing process, not the studio. The writer can use AI to make their job easier, but the studio cannot use AI in order to formulate scripts wholly. If the studio uses AI at all for script writing purposes, they must inform the writer in the WGA. And AI cannot be credited as a screenwriter at all. So in other words, studios can't circumvent writers' fees by saying, well, this script was mainly written by AI anyway, and all the writer really did was punch it up, so we don't have to pay them their full fee. That's not going to be the case. Further, AI cannot make scripts. They cannot edit scripts. They cannot be considered literary material or source material. And the WGA reserved the right to claim that any of their written material being used to train AI in the future is in violation of this agreement. So essentially what the WGA did here, and I think needed to do, quite frankly, was ensure that AI is restricted to only be used as a tool by the writer to enhance writing and not be used by the studio to replace writers. All right, so this is where you and I are going to be at loggerheads the most, and uh, for good reason, because I just saw a little movie last night called The Creator, Michael. (laughs) And I don't know... Maybe you're familiar with that upcoming documentary. (laughs) And this upcoming documentary from 20th Century Studios uh, proved to me... That AI is actually a benevolent force for good and cohabitation. The robots just don't want to be turned off. 
They just want to <laughs> live, Michael. Right, right. And yes, please donate your likeness to, for The Sims uh, <laughs> of the future. So what the hell are you talking about here? Like mm. you're big, all scared of the AI and whatever. I mean, it's just, this is, this is where you are off the reservation. <laughs> you're out of line, counselor. Can I tell you, in all honesty, (laughs) my fear of AI becoming Skynet has been quelled most by Adam Conover, who keeps reminding me that AI is only basically what you give it. You have to teach. It has to be, it runs on human input mostly. So it it can only take what we as humans enter into it as a service. So if we don't do that, it it won't go Arnold on us. Okay, that's good. Right? So maybe the the creator won't happen. The creator... It will. It will. will. You're right. ...should happen. I'm rooting for the creator to happen, because that would be good. We'll be okay. Um, Those are primarily, uh, for better or worse, the gains the WGA made. Now, there is a question here about are the writers and members of the WGA Guild in a tricky situation where they, like IATSE before them... Are they going to be forced to cross picket lines to return to work? Because SAG-AFTRA is still striking, obviously, and they're striking yeah. out in front of all you know big headquarters and studios. They're still striking in front of Netflix HQ every day. They're still striking in front of different productions if they're being done every day, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, mm-hmm. Adam addressed this as well, saying that, first of all, it's, it, it doesn't seem that complicated because writers generally do a majority of their work prior to actors ever getting to set. So the WGA and the SAG-AFTRA shouldn't really cross paths. And there's... Further, there's steps that individuals can do. For example, Adam himself is refusing to take any meetings at Netflix HQ until mm-hmm. the SAG after strike is resolved. Okay. So he's not he he himself will not cross the picket lines. But obviously, it's going to be up to each individual person and where they are in the totem pole and job security, et cetera, et cetera, as wow. to what they do. However, he and I think he made this point. We've made this point. This doesn't happen without union solidarity. These mm-hmm. WGA wins. That comes in two ways. It's not only that every member of the WGA had to stick together for this to happen, but it was aided by the fact that SAG refused to cross WGA picket lines. IATSE members who were still employed still refused to cross picket lines with the WGA. Unions were respecting unions. So not only did members of a union have to coalesce and stay together through this thing to get this deal done, there had to be respect between unions for this type of deal to get done. So I would imagine the same thing would happen. There was actually a part negotiated for the WGA wanted to say that none of their members would be held liable uh, by the studios if they refused to cross other unions picket lines. But the Mm -hmm. the unions, I don't think gave in on that aspect or gave in on that point. So it is going to be up to the individual members, but I would assume there will not be much picket line crossing. So long as the SAG after strike persists. That being said, People are probably taking a lot of Zoom meetings nowadays, no? I would think, yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> so this is not coming into play. Able to do it, yeah. Quite as much. Want. But uh, look, I mean, this is this is the final question I have for you. Ultimately, it boils down to this. Like, SAG is going to start negotiating on Monday with the AMPTP, SAG-AFTRA. They have some unique issues separate from the WGA, like the need for productions to employ qualified makeup and hairstyling professionals to tend to actors of all skin tones and and from the extras to the principal cast members that's not being done right now and that's a shame and a pox on the industry and you think they would figure that that out please uh there's also a need for regulations on virtual and taped auditions since the pandemic that's gotten out of control and then actors need to be helped out when they're forced to relocate for for a variety of roles which is again something that 
you would think they would have stipends to handle, but apparently not. So those seem like some obvious issues, but I'm sure there's a, a litany of other unique issues here that SAG after and the AMPTP after negotiate Michael starting Monday because they haven't really negotiated with one another since what July. So does the WGA deal help expedite deal making and compromising where things do cross over to the extent where the SAG after strike is lifted at some point soon do you think i'm going to give you two over-unders okay i'll start with i guess i'll start with october 15th plus 500 on the over and october 15th is the end of the new york film festival over october 15th plus 500 or under if this thing's wrapped up in the next two weeks minus 500 i'm bullish but what are you do I think the SAG strike will end by Correct. October 15th is what you're asking. Over under um, October 15th. Plus 500 the, on the, the over. The beating I have been taking in real life in gambling this last week has not been good. Okay. So I see plus 500. This is fake I, money. I can, I can get, fake. Well, let, let me deal with that. I see <laughs> that plus 500. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I can make, I can make some money back. <laughs> oh, no. I think it's going to be under. Good. I, I think those are good odds, and I do. The, the biggest, I uh, this is totally editorial, my opinion. I think the biggest hang-up for both these cog, both uh, guilds, mm-hmm. I'm going to call them cogs, C-O-G-S, by the way. Uh, I think the biggest hang-up was the streaming residuals. Okay. The fact that they got iron, I, I mean, the AMPTP was, holy, I mean, they, they called them like, they called either the preservation of writers' room or the residuals mm-hmm. anathema. Is the word that Adam Conover said that one of the uh, the AMPTP <laughs> members used. It. It's anathema to us. It's it's non It's such a non star. It offends me that you bring it up. Essentially, is oh how these God. studios. So the fact that the writers got it done, mm-hmm. I think, makes it so much easier to deal with SAG. Oh, good. I'm right? so happy. I mean, do to you hear not this. feel that way, or am well, I? You were I you were right on when you predicted that the WGA thing was gonna start to wrap up. Uh, and when when you finally became bullish, I was very happy. Even though mm-hmm. I was right on, and uh, you know from the get go. But we, yeah, we can... we're ne- we're never wrong. We know that both of us. Yeah, yeah. but uh, I, I'm I'm thrilled that you're bullish right now because I was gonna give you an over under on Halloween, and that plus fifteen hundred on the over Halloween. Listen. Staring you in the face, but you're I might you're giving me fifteen. I might slip like I'll, I'll I might advocate and be like, oh this is over, and then go to the the counter and put a hundred dollars on over Halloween because I like those odds. <laughs> but, but that's me being a degenerate. You wouldn't bet minus a thousand. You wouldn't no. bet. Yeah, okay. No, but I do under. think that's a fair odd because I do think this is. I don't think we go through. I think it's over before October ends. I Good. Good. Because Good. now there's going to be a rush, and, and a couple of uh, Bellany and a couple other outlets were saying, there's going to be a rush now with writer, just with writers back to schedule shit. Yeah. And, I mean, obviously, you're not going to, once you have things on the schedule, you need the actors. Yes, you do. So they're, they're <laughs> going to they're gonna come back, I think, and they're going to get things done and get things, uh, I think they're going to give SAG what they want. I mean, look, for me, and just doing this as long as we have, I think the WGA killed this negotiation. Good. I really do. And it's funny if you go back and you read certain things about how the negotiations broke down and people who were in the room and secondhand information and like what CEOs were doing what and Bob Iger was painted in this certain way and Zaslav was painted in this certain way and Ted Sarandos was apparently only concerned with SAG and didn't really give a shit about the WGA. Again, this is according to... Anyway. So, 
like it's funny seeing them these these titans of industry being in this room together and mm-hmm. having to get this done and they kind of got played i think <laughs> so you're saying it's more succession season 4 than succession season 1 is is succession the one with the beef <laughs> <laughs> No, but that's all right. I know that the, I the Emmys more were than pushed. a week ago. I'm done. The e- Emmys were pushed for a while back, so you need a refresher. But I think Succession season four, and then therefore, is that the Chicago restaurant with the beef? I want some of that beef. Anyway, I think I'm you spent. did a great job. I think you did a great job. I think you deserve like a ten minute break, a whole ten minute break before we record our next episode, <laughs> thank, which will be. Thank uh, you, sir. And I'll handle the outro. Like we are, we are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook, uh, at you know the <laughs> Gmail address. We're on Reddit. We're we're on Twitter at mm and Oscar. We're you on Instagram at poet, Mike, Mike, sir. and Oscar. I'm doing beautifully. Don't 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 interrupt me. I'll, I got okay, this. Sorry. Uh, what's coming next is that next recording, uh, Oscar Race Checkpoint. We got best international. National feature you just news want to hit again. The, on the hour, huh? Golden Globes, new categories. Michael, we're going to react to those, uh, and then I'm going to review like 15. So you don't even have to speak for a while. I can review 15 <laughs> things. We're and, exchanging episodes. I yeah, we're this exchanging one. episodes. <laughs> you speak for the next one. Where the, I just drone on, and then I liked, <laughs> I liked the creator when the pretty, pretty sunsets. <laughs> Hung over the robots. No, I th- I want, I'm going to review the creator and a bunch of other new stuff. And uh, the words of wisdom today are unionize, man. Yeah, union. please, Love immediately. It. Damn the man. Get the pitchforks. <laughs> Good job, buddy. Appreciate it. Good work by you guys. When reality sucks, you can unionize with us. Does that work? I don't know. Sure. Uh, we're Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make awards season year-round without the stuffiness. We will see you all very soon. See ya. See ya.